um, what a person who has struggled their entire life to access basic human services, who has not had access to a wonderful education, who has not had access to sufficient food or nutritious um, uh, resources, who does not have, um, has not had early access to behavioral health supports, who has not received behavioral health, who has experienced trauma throughout their lives, not only because of their poverty, but also because of their race and the way that society treats them. The intervention that they need, the car they need to get into to get down the road, is a very different vehicle than the vehicle that a person who has had privilege in their lives. And we can't fool ourselves into thinking that if we solve that problem, we can just pull costs out of the system and have a solution that is applicable to that other person. Hello and welcome to Himscast. I'm your host, Jonah Comstock, and this is the second edition of Himscast Industry Voices. Last time, we heard digital health innovators on value-based care and what's bringing it to the forefront at this moment in health tech innovation. Today, we're going to look at a related trend and another area that many conference goers at Health in Boston last month said was finally moving from talk to action, and that's health equity and the social determinants of health. Here's Deloitte partner Peter Mika. There are still uh, health equity issues, uh, and there's still a component society that won't utilize certain healthcare services if it's not part of an integrated uh, package that um, has a third party payer. So, you know, access is an important element to the rollout of any new product and service. One reason health equity is getting more due these days is because our society is generally talking more about equity and social justice. In healthcare, this means looking at who our innovations generally benefit. Here's Ashisha Treja, Chief Information and Digital Health Officer for UC Davis Health. Uh, I think uh, there's a lot of reflection happening. Many folks, there's a lot of attention on digital health disparity and how to create digital health equity. That's definitely a focus for us at UC Davis as one of strategic pillars. Because when you look and you see, oh my God, people with uh, different demographic status have less adoption of digital care. So in some way, we are making it convenient for people who already it was I mean, easier for them to access care, and we are, are we creating more barriers for people, relatively, uh, for people who did not have access. So I think there's a lot of reflection, thinking, and refinement, which is the right way to do. But the big event of the last two years, the COVID-19 pandemic, has also opened up the equity conversation, both by drawing attention to the consequences of our care disparities, as minority communities and communities of color continue to suffer disproportionately from the virus, and by opening up the widespread use of digital tools that can then be turned towards equity efforts. Jennifer Goldsack, Chief Executive Officer of the Digital Medicine Society, or DIME, is bullish on the use of these tools towards the goal of equity. These aren't new challenges, but we have demonstrated that there's a whole new sort of uh, set of tools in the toolbox um, in digital, and we learned during the pandemic that they are ready to be deployed. So how do we deploy them? How do we do it in a way that's equitable? And how are we thinking about evaluating sort of what they bring to the table, not just from an efficacy point of view, but from a value point of view, and how are we re-engineering the care processes, how are we re-engineering the research processes, and how are we paying for these things? What do we mean when we say the industry is getting more serious about health equity? Goldsack says the average commitment to equity is higher, but that's compared to a fairly low baseline. I would say that there remains a lot of variability in the system. However, I think the variability has gone from watching and waiting at the sort of lower end of the spectrum to pilots at the top end of the spectrum to 
a really thoughtful, pretty aggressive implementation strategy at the top end now and um, limited exposure at the bottom end. So we have moved forward as a field and I think the variability remains. Dr. Toyan Ajayi, president of CityBlock Health, thinks even that may be overgenerous. There's a lot more work to be done. I would, I would actually, you know, respectfully disagree a little bit with the characterization. I think that we have historically not talked about it and not done anything about it. Today we are talking about it. We're not yet doing things as an industry. Mika from Deloitte thinks, and as you'll hear in a moment, Ajayi agrees, that the major turn the industry has taken is from equity as a mission or a platitude to equity as a business model. I think the importance of health equity, I think the importance of um, understanding that there are um, social determinants of health are important, that need to be brought to light, that can be measured, um, that can help accelerate the change in our industry. I think it was always latent, it was, it was always talked about, but I, I see it here in, in the open and people are having uh, much more robust conversations about, um, you know, not just talking about it as a slang term, but how do we build a business how do we create a business solution to a social problem? Ajayi calls this baking equity into the business, and she's hoping to see more of it going forward. Um, I think that there are certain organizations, and I'm really fortunate to sort of consider us as one of them at CityBlock, um, that have baked into their business model equity. Um, you know, we serve a primarily Medicaid and duly eligible population. We know that people of color are two times more likely to be um, represented in that population of folks and that definitionally by building intentionally for um, this segment of the population we are building for people who've been marginalized and oppressed by our broader systems and that's not a nice to have on the side that is like a you know core to our business um, i don't yet see all that many companies for whom the, the sort of pursuit of equity is baked into the core of their business. I see a lot of folks thinking and talking about it as an add-on or a nice-to-have or part of their corporate social responsibility or you know something that they do um, uh, with philanthropic resources on the side of what their core business. And it'd be very interesting, I think, for all of us to start to use this momentum and this moment to push towards um, enshrining equity work within the core business models of the organizations that we lead and support and continue to grow. Not everyone agrees with this approach, of course. A few weeks ago at another conference, Ajahi participated in a heated panel in which another CEO, forwards Adrian Ayun, argued that by building concierge medical practices for middle and upper classes, startups could perfect models that could then trickle down to low-income populations. He drew a comparison to the electric car, which started out as an inaccessible luxury vehicle but is gradually becoming more available. Ajahi says that analogy is flawed. Your socioeconomic status does not impact your ability to get inside a vehicle, turn it on, and drive it. So whether I build a car for a wealthy person or I build a car for someone who's less wealthy, the core components of what that vehicle needs in order to be like, effective are the same. That is not true when you're designing healthcare. Um, what a person who has struggled their entire life to access basic human services, who has not had access to a wonderful education, who has not had access to sufficient food or nutritious um, uh, resources, who does not have, um, has not had early access to behavioral health supports, who has not received behavioral health, who has experienced trauma throughout their lives, not only because of their poverty, but also because of their race and the way that society treats them. 
the intervention that they need, the car they need to get into to get down the road is a very different vehicle than the vehicle that a person who has had privilege in their lives. And we can't fool ourselves into thinking that if we solve that problem, we can just pull costs out of the system and have a solution that is applicable to that other person. So how does the industry go about creating these solutions that are not just incidentally equitable, but fully designed for the most vulnerable populations? Well, the first step, Mika says, is making sure that we're asking the right questions and that we have a way to quantitatively measure social determinants of health and the broad efficacy of interventions. Nothing changes if you don't measure what you're trying to change. And once you start measuring it and start communicating it, I think it changes the dynamic of and the lens to which people look at certain elements of, you know, our social construct and the impact it has on, on healthcare in particular. And I think social determinants of health um, drive a big component of access to healthcare in a way that we always knew, um, but now we're finally starting to measure. Caitlin Donovan, global head of Uber Health, says that it's important for technology companies to have an awareness of the scope of access problems and be willing to work with each other to present robust offerings. At the show, Uber Health announced a partnership with Papa Health, a company addressing some of the social determinants of health in the aging population. When there's a health equity issue or an access issue for patients, I think um, you know generally there's more than one facet that the patient needs. And so our goal is to recognize that we alone can't solve the whole problem, but we can bring together the partners to serve the, the, the patient's entire need. Um, and then really importantly, leverage technology to make it easier for the individual patient, but a lot easier for the health plan, population health manager, case manager, to tap into those benefits. Um, so that's the exciting news about PAPA, is they've just done such a wonderful job addressing social isolation with, um, with an aging population. I think we've done a very nice job addressing access and transportation issues for the older population, and by combining our services, we'll be able to address both at once. Health equity isn't just about access in the strictest sense, availability of free or low-cost care. It's also about understanding underserved communities, meeting them where they are, and building trust among groups whose inclination is not always to trust the healthcare system. Here's Ajayi on how they approach this at CityBlock. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, we're in the community. We're walking the streets. We're knocking on doors. We're showing up within four people. And it's not just where, it's also with what and with whom. Um, I think it's really important to acknowledge that, um, that a lot of the folks whom we serve truly, truly have reasons to, to be hesitant about um, initially opening their doors to people from healthcare because the healthcare system has not treated historically people who struggle with mental illness, people who struggle with substance use disorder, people who are um, uh, from communities of color, people who don't speak English as their first language, people who are impoverished. We haven't treated them very well in healthcare traditionally. And so approaching a person with the exact same tool and affect and, um, uh, and individuals who often are associated with the things that they have experienced that are negative isn't likely to be effective. And so we hire from the communities we serve. We really believe that the human beings in the model are critical. We hire people who are culturally fluent and culturally, truly, truly like from the communities that we're serving who, um, who understand the value and the beauty and the nuance of the members whom we serve and can show up in a way that is respectful, that is dignifying, um, that's engaging, and that's trustworthy. And we use that as a way to then 
open up and, and buy us, frankly, the right um, and the privilege of getting to know people more deeply. And hopefully then their understanding and engagement in, in the models of care that we hope to deploy, right? Like we need people and want people to make different choices to call city block instead of going to the emergency room um, to to take their their insulin three times a day as prescribed um, even when that is difficult and even when um, they may not have had understood the reasons to do it before we believe that across the relationship of trust we have with them we can help them see what we see and help light a path for people such that they make different choices that lead to better outcomes for them and their families Innovators have to think about engaging populations who are stretched thin, minimizing the time that they have to spend to get care, and helping motivate them to spend that time. Here's Ajayi again. When you are um, when you're struggling um, to make ends meet financially, your time is your most valuable asset. And so, you know, coming to a person in their home to see them, versus asking them to take time off, to you know travel over there to wait for you in a waiting room to receive only 10 minutes of care that may not even feel like the person knows who I am they may, may you know often often these members our members feel like they're just a set of diagnoses because actually you know most electronic health records think about people as a set of diagnoses um, and so you know asking people to spend money and also to spend their time we should really value that um, if we're not delivering them an experience that meets their needs is never going to it's never going to realize the results and outcomes that we want and so that's another piece is to think about the cost not only from a monetary perspective but also from an opportunity cost perspective at UC Davis Atreja says his research team has focused in on this idea of what motivates patients to take an active role in their own health we have this mission we call it no person gets left behind right uh, so I think it's not just a monitor delivery, it's a monitor test. Are we creating barriers? And, you know, I'll give example. Uh, if it's a diabetes care and we stay do this thing which is laborious, people will be less inclined. But I've seen in colonoscopy when we provide digital care to navigate them through colonoscopy experience, more than 90% adoption. So patients really need it and they are hungry for information for a successful procedure or a surgery and they are motivated to do it and they do it. When they're not motivated, for example, they don't see the value in why should my sugar go from 120 to 110, for example, uh, or they don't know the impact of the blood pressure reading even small, uh, then they're not motivated. And then no matter what experience we provide, uh, it, it may not lead to high level of engagement. The idea of social determinants of health is the idea that people are more than just patients, and that all the other facets of their life affect not only their access to care, but their engagement in it. Here's Atreja again. Healthcare journey is one among the many journeys people are taking every single day, from their family life, social, psychological, right, uh, financial, right. These are all the journeys they are taking, and it's just one aspect of that. Um, and sometimes it's a gap in our s stuff. We give things without explaining enough. Mm -hmm. We call it. We have to really uh, talk about activating the patient first, then engaging, then monitoring. The people I spoke to at Health are hopeful, to varying degrees, that the conversations around prioritizing health equity are becoming more real and more tied in to outcomes and business models. There is still a lot to be done, and this is an area where the old adage applies, talk is cheap. But we are starting to see concrete examples of how health equity can be baked into a business model and how organizations can measure and prioritize social determinants of health in caring for a population. And hopefully by this time next year, we'll be even further along the way from good ideas and conversations to meaningful actions and implementations. Here's a last word on those lines from Jennifer Goldsack from Dime. 
we're facing crises at every level from sort of you know national spending to individual out-of-pocket spending to health outcomes to disparities like this is not an opportunity for us to mail it in there is this powerful new set of tools in the toolbox and it is very very much sort of up to us and everyone sort of listening in today for how we deploy those things This segment was written and produced by Jonah Comstock. All interviews were conducted on-site at Health in Boston. Stay tuned for more editions of Industry Voices on Hemscast. And as always, keep innovating and keep being healthcare changemakers.